You're listening to highlights of One Planet Podcast's interview with Dr. Mona Safadi, Executive Director and Founder of the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health and Communication Scientist, Edward Maybach. Take a step back and sort of look at the big picture of why is this a tough issue to deal with? Why is it that people worldwide were struggling with making the kinds of decisions and enacting on the decisions that will get to the root causes of the problem and stop the warming and start to protect our communities so that people and other things we care about aren't needlessly hurt. And the answer to that question is most people worldwide accept the realities of climate change, but they see it as a distant problem, distant on three different dimensions, distant in terms of time, so they see it not necessarily as today's problem, but a future problem, distant in terms of location, not, you know, maybe somewhere, somebody's dealing with this, but not us, not here in my community. And perhaps most importantly, distant in terms of species. So people tend to see this as a plants, penguins, and polar bears problem and not a people problem. And that's a challenge that creates a challenge for us to engage the public in thinking about what this means for them today, because on all three of those dimensions, they feel like they've got some time, some distance in order to think these problems through. There's a second challenge, which makes this work really hard. And that is that it's sort of fundamental to the human condition that we don't like to pay today for things that we don't get to enjoy the benefits until the distant future. And so when people think about climate solutions, they tend to think about being required to pay more today for the things that they're already getting for benefits that will accrue from a more stable climate, maybe for their children, maybe for their grandchildren, or maybe for their great grandchildren. So that's a tough sell, if you will. It's the fundamental insight of the field of behavioral economics. The reason why the work that Mona Sarfati is doing and her colleagues at the Medical Society Consortium on Climate and Health is so important is because doctors and other health professionals have this extraordinary opportunity to address both of those challenges successfully. We have an opponent, but the opponent is the fossil fuel industry. And we need to fight that opponent because right now they are winning. They really are the loudest and most uh, successful voice continuing the carbonization of the global economy. But this is the important point. We have to fight them, but we also have to talk to them because the talking may or may not do any good. But if we don't keep open the possibility that being in conversation, there's no possibility that they will ever change their minds and become part of the solution. There are many who believe we cannot stabilize the world's climate unless we have the world's fossil fuel industry as an active participant in that process because they have such a large and well-trained and knowledgeable workforce and they have many of the very fundamental skills that we most need in order to decarbonize the global economy. The American business community and the American scientific community and the technology community has shown for quite a while now a tremendous ability to innovate uh, and to lead the world in important new technologies that provide new capabilities and solve new problems. 
And I think of this as part of the DNA of the U.S., really, that our engineering capabilities, our scientific training, and the kind of freedom to innovate that our economic system permits people, ability to raise capital, and then to take that capital and to invest it in new ideas and new technologies, and even to innovate in the organization of the enterprises themselves. I am not a business person, but I certainly have followed over the years the Jack Welch approach to organizing general, and then middle managers, no middle managers, better con contact between corporate executives and people who are on the front lines, and just, you know, the loss of American manufacturing overseas and then trying to bring it back. And it, there's been so many changes in organizational structures and in theories of business and in new technologies, which have just completely changed the way we lead our lives. How many people are still buying vinyl records? How many people are even listening to CDs anymore? You know, the technology by which we entertain ourselves and by way which we keep our records you know, how many people are keeping all their records in paper anymore? Right. And not to mention, the, you know, what we've seen in our automobiles and our travel. And there's just so much innovating that I do think of this, as does Joe Biden, as part of the DNA of the United States. That's a great strength. I'll refer to a policy agenda that we launched in 2019, and we refer to it as the Call to Action on Climate, Health, and Equity a policy action agenda. And it has 10 action areas, each of which could contribute not only to addressing climate change, but also to improving health. And so most of those can have a direct and pretty immediate impact on health. The first, of course, is to clean our sources of energy so that when we power our lives, our homes, our industry, we're not spewing into the air pollutants that make many people sick and have the potential to make many others sick. And so energy, the source of electric power is a big one that needs to be addressed. Another is transportation. Right now in the United States, about 30% of all the greenhouse gases are accounted for by transportation. And if we were able to move to no and low carbon transportation, then we would get rid of those sources of pollution that endangering people's health and causing asthma attacks and worsening of chronic lung disease and heart disease and many other health problems. And then we want to greatly improve energy efficiency that when people heat their homes or use appliances or cool their homes, in many cases, they're using some outdated technologies which are inefficient and which put a lot more pollutants into the air than are really necessary. And so if we address that, we would be making much better use of the principles of efficiency, and we would be getting cleaner air in the bargain. Another one that we're very interested in is the health system itself, because it turns out that within the United States, the health system accounts for about eight and a half percent of all the greenhouse gases that go into the atmosphere. And so if we could clean up the health delivery system, improve its efficiency and change its sources of power and the way it uses transportation, we could right there achieve an eight and a half percent reduction in greenhouse gases. So those are four of the elements of our policy action agenda. Mona is actually a person who spent eight years of her life supporting American senators create good policy. 
And so she will have a unique insight into what it took to get the Senate to pass the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. I want to talk about it at first as a brilliant act of rhetoric. They chose, rather than calling it the Climate Crisis Act of 2022, which would have never been passed by our Senate, they called it the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. So the name of the act signals that it is addressing one of the most proximal concerns on the minds of many Americans today, which is the fact that we're seeing a level of inflation that we haven't seen in our country in 30 years. And that has people worried. They're also, by the way, worried about the price of gasoline at the pump. This is not a name that promises something scary. It promises to deliver something that we want. There's so much to say on this subject, but I, I really want to start with the advocates and the activists because at the moment that President Biden was elected and announced that he was going to utilize an all of government approach to address climate change, he asked every single agency of the federal government, that is every cabinet member and their agency to think about how they specifically could do something within their area of responsibility to address the crisis of climate change. And polls had shown before Biden was elected, and they have continued to show that people are concerned and worry about climate change has been slowly rising over the last 10 to 15 years. And it has gotten to the point now where you have a critical mass of Americans who are concerned. And so that's the backdrop. But in addition to that, you have a critical mass of advocates that have been speaking to the public, speaking to Congress, speaking to the members of the executive branch and to their local governments about making the change that we need so that we can address this existential threat. So we've seen in the last two years, the greatest crescendo of activity on the part of advocacy groups around the entire country and often also based in Washington, D.C., not only individually, but coming together as coalitions. You know, when we started, the health sector had maybe a few groups who were interested. Now, two years later, it's pretty much every health group in America is concerned about climate change. You look at the environmental sector, you've got initially well-known groups like the Environmental Defense Fund or the Natural Resources Defense Council or the Sierra Club who were leading the charge in the environmental sector to take on climate change. But that now has mushroomed so that there's just countless organizations nationally and locally who are concerned not only about climate change, but also about conservation and making sure that we don't lose the beautiful country that we have. I mean, this is a magnificent country with amazing resources. And people really value what they have not only in their political system, but also in the reality of what it's like on the ground, the parks, the beauty of the land, the national parks, et cetera. And so the rising concern about all of that, and then on the part of businesses, of course, we have you know the report about risky business, which was, I guess, from several years ago, that was put out by some of the leaders of the business community that was warning the entire business sector that they really need to figure out to what extent their individual companies and enterprises were at risk because of climate change. And so they also have really ratcheted up 
their concern uh, about this problem. And we still have some political polarization, which has narrowed the scope of the Republican Party so that they have not really been willing to step forward and lead policy change on climate change. And I don't think that that was a wise decision. I think that, you know, that is going to hurt them in the long run, along with some of the other policy positions that they've taken. But you certainly had a federal government, a Congress where Democrats are in the majority and, you know, in a tremendous landscape of advocates around the country who have all together continued to demand, to ask, to, to visit, to talk, to tweet, to use Facebook, to use every form of social media and the press and, you know, local organizing to get the word out there and to make sure that the message to our policymakers was clear that we needed change. Humanity needs to do three things if it wants to continue to flourish. And it will, the three things that humanity needs to do are decarbonize the global economy, draw down, capture, harvest much of that heat trapping pollution that we've already pumped into the atmosphere over the past hundred years. Because as long as it's up in our atmosphere, we're going to have continued warming. And the third thing that humanity needs to do is become more resilient to the impacts of climate change, which unfortunately will continue for the next several generations at least, even as we succeed in decarbonizing the global economy and harvesting that trapping pollution from the atmosphere. So these are the three things that have to happen. These three things will happen. The open question is how rapidly will they happen? And my premise to you is that any business that can play a vital role in making any one or two or all three of those things happen, those are businesses that are going to flourish going forward. And any business that's sitting on the side and not contributing to one of those three areas, I really think they will become increasingly irrelevant, if not completely antiquated and increasingly understood to be harmful. So I'm both scared to death about what the future possibilities are, but I remain a real optimist that those three things are going to happen and the business community is going to play an incredibly important role because they are increasingly realized they have to be drivers of making those three things happen. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.